Yeah. <laughs> it's super exciting because, again, from the beginning of Life Church, we've always said if we want to change the lives of people, we just got to tell stories, right? If you tell stories about what Jesus is doing, it's transformational in the lives of other people. So, being around Lance and how he's been a part of helping us do that, and now to be able to see him go out and produce a film that we can at least come alongside in some ways to be able to support is super exciting, and we love that we can do that, and we'd love for you to be a part of the premiere. Uh, so it's on April the 20th over at Huntington, the Zerker Auditorium. Lance is going to be out. Are you going to be out after the second service? So Lance is going to be out uh, in the cafe after the second service, giving you the ability. There's a QR code that you can scan and be able to get your free ticket to be a part of the premiere of Wayfaring Strangers. So it's a super exciting time. Love for you guys to be a part of it so that we can celebrate together. All right, so Easter people. Now, one of the things that I recognize about myself is I always go over, so there is no recap. We're not recapping these last three weeks of the things we've done, so I'm just gonna give you this short, like what is Easter people about? This is what it's about. When people meet Jesus, something changes, right? So if you meet Jesus, Jesus enters into your life, something changes with that. And so the idea is look at the lives of people, understand what Jesus meant to them, and what is it that we can learn from them, right? Like that's the idea. So if you have a Bible today, I want you to turn to John 20. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 29. Now, we're going to be looking at what uh, a lot of Christians would call, not just Thomas, but we're going to look at doubting Thomas. That's kind of how he's known, you know, in the church world. But one of the things I've said in, in studying the life of Thomas is we should probably just call him Honest Thomas, right? Because here's the reality. Thomas, as a doubter, for sure did, did not define his life. Right, so if you look at Thomas's life, we tend to focus on the part of where he doubted, but the majority of his life and what he did was not surrounded around his doubt, right? In fact, Thomas just says things that we don't have enough guts to say, right? Like Thomas just comes out and says, ha, I think you guys are full of crap, right? I don't think that this really happened, and I think for a lot of us, that's a fear, Right? I think a lot of you fear saying, you know, I doubt, because you might have grew up in a church that said, you can't ever doubt, you just got to have faith, right? You can't ever ask questions, because if you have questions, you know, that's bad. You should just trust, and you should never have questions, because if you die having questions, who knows where those people go, right? Because you just got to be fully devoted, and you shouldn't have any questions. If you believe in Jesus, you shouldn't have any of these things. But you know what the reality is? Most of you are skeptics. The reality is most of you are doubters, right? And it's just you just don't want to admit it, or maybe you've never seen it that way. But if you think about it, in the lives of people, this happens all the time. So you come, just like it was with Thomas, you come, you're super excited, there's hope, things are going well, things are going the way it's supposed to be. And then has anybody ever had a moment in their life where whether it was a big thing or small thing that your life kind of got turned upside down? And then all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second. This isn't the way that it's supposed to turn out. Anybody? You know what I mean? Like, you get to this place, and it's, it's going along. Something happens, and then 
It's not that you stop believing in Jesus or that you stop believing in God. You just aren't real sure about what you put your trust into because it's not working out the way you thought. Is that fair to say? Because that's really where Thomas was, right? Thomas didn't stop believing in God. Thomas didn't get to the place where, you know, it was like Jesus didn't exist. Thomas was just at a place in his life where he's like, I'm skeptical now. I put my hope in something. It didn't turn out the way that I was, thought it was going to turn out. So now I'm somewhat skeptical. Think about this in, in a lot of our lives. Like we, I don't know if you're like me, but you go through periods of time in your life where you withhold certain things from God, like you don't trust him fully in him. couple, right? Like, you don't want to give them your kids. You don't want to give them your money. You don't want to give them your husband. You don't want to get, like, there's things, right, that we don't want to give fully over. And a lot of it, we would, we kind of gloss it over in the Christian world. We just say, well, you know, I'm just working it out. No, you just don't trust him yet. You're still a skeptic. Right? Like, it's okay. Like, you can just say it. Like, you're a skeptic when it comes to giving God your money. You're a skeptic when it comes to God giving God your children. You're a skeptic when it comes to, you could fill in whatever the blank is, but you're just a skeptic. So here's the thing that we have to recognize. So if this message is going to make any sense to you today, two things that you're going to have to do. One is you're going to have to be open that maybe you are a skeptic. You're going to have to be open to this, this idea that, well, now some of you trust God in every area of your life and you never have any of these issues. But for the rest of us, right, that struggle at times, you're going to learn how to deal with skepticism. That's what today is, right? So you're going to learn when you come to these places where you're skeptical about trusting God in certain areas of your life, you're going to learn how to be able to deal with skepticism. The other part of it, um, so again, the idea that a lot of us are skeptics. The other problem is the church doesn't know how to deal with skeptics, or Christian people don't know how to deal with skeptics. Is that fair to say? Right? Christian people at times, like, unfortunately, this is what we do. Somebody has a question, and you can't answer the question. You're like, you just need to have faith. Stop asking questions. Nobody ever gave that answer? Like, I don't know, just believe, right? I don't know what the answer is, just believe. Well, what we're gonna see today is, is that um, to change a skeptic's mind to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you can't just say, just believe, right? So how do we interact with skeptical people and how do we take a skeptic and turn them into or get them to move closer to a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So those are the two things we're going to talk about today. If you're a skeptic, how do you deal with skepticism? If you're around skeptics, how do we help move them to being fully devoted followers? Now, before we jump into John 20, some history about Thomas, if you didn't know this. So Thomas was a twin. So they call him Thomas the Doubter, but also Thomas and Didymus, right? So it talks about him being a twin. Um, the other thing that it talks about in Scripture very specifically is Thomas was the one, do you remember in Scripture when Lazarus died? So when Lazarus died, they were all sitting around and they were talking about, like, Jesus, you should go and you should be a part of, you know, be, before he dies, you should try to heal him. They didn't, so Jesus says, now we're going to go. And Thomas spoke up and said, hey, you know, then we can just go die with him. 
right? Like, it actually didn't make any sense why he says that. Like, if you think about, oh, we'll just go die with him. Now, wait a second. You're supposed to spread the message of the gospel. Dying doesn't help. But anyway, he was a guy that was showing a part of his courage, right? Like, hey, if it means dying, we're going to go and die and be a part of it. Also, Thomas is the one, do you remember, and it's read in funerals sometimes where Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know that one, like, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if it wasn't so, you know, when I, I wouldn't come back and, and take you with me, right? And Thomas is the one that was like, hey, you know, we have no idea where you're going. You're going to have to tell us. That was Thomas. And here's what I love about Thomas. Thomas doesn't fit the normal religious circle because you know what happens in religion a lot of times. Somebody says something like that, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the people out there in the church are listening to the preacher be like, this is what God's saying. And you're out there going, mm-hmm, yeah. You don't believe it at all or you have no idea what he's talking about, but you're going like, yeah, mm-hmm. Nobody does that. Thomas was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea. Like you said, you're going to prepare a place for you and you're going to come back and get us. And he's like, I think you're full of crap. I have no idea. Tell me, explain to me that inquisitive part of Thomas. See, I think we should be more like that. Like I think we should be okay sometimes saying, like I, I have no idea what you're talking about and I don't really even agree with what you're saying, but let's have a conversation. Uh, like, like, let's talk through those things. Thomas was that person, and then we know Thomas was the guy that doubted, um, and then church history would tell us, but then Thomas also was the one that when he settled his doubts, ended up going to India, Aparthia, preaching the gospel, where he's martyred by a sword being run, and, run through him, right? Martyred for preaching the faith. Now, how do we, as Christian people, learn from the life of Thomas? How can we understand, as we do admit that we are skeptics and we have skepticism, how do we learn from him? And then how do we learn how to deal with people who are skeptics? So now, one of the things that I want you to, to think through is, is this idea of where our skepticism comes from. Because part of our skepticism is like life goes bad and then sometimes, you know, we, we become skeptical. But the other thing that you need to remember as we look at the life of Thomas is we're living in a world today that's creating skepticism. And, and here's why, right? So think about this as a church. Why is it important to open up environments to ask questions? Because if you don't know this right now, young people are asking questions and guess who they're asking? Google and social media. Now I know there's no misinformation on the internet, right? So you can all trust what Google says, right? Which is completely false, right? Like you can look up and get any answer that you wanna get if you search for it long enough. And the reason that they're out there searching for it is because they don't feel comfortable coming to you. You haven't created an environment where questioning what they believe is something that's okay, right? So when we study this, Remember that we have got to create an environment not only where they're open to questions, but here's the other thing that I want you to see because this is a missing link. You know why a lot of young people are skeptical today? Are you ready for this? They've seen way too much religion and very little Jesus. Does that make sense? Because I'm not... When I say religion, sometimes people get confused. 
Here's what religion is. Religion is things that you go through. You come to church, you read your Bible, you, you show up at small groups, you do with the intention of gaining knowledge, not relationship. That's religion. Does that, you follow the rules because you don't want to get in trouble instead of like, no, I'm doing it because I love my father. Does that make sense? So we, we've grown up in a world or young people grow up in a world where they see a lot of religion. Their, their parents going to church. They see other people going to church. They see people doing religious activities. But obviously there is no relationship because nothing ever changes. Does that make sense? Right, like you're doing religious things, but it doesn't change it. So now when we go into this and we study Thomas, really important for us to think through this. Are you creating environments? Number one, are you okay asking questions? Are you okay? And nobody wants to say, are you okay questioning God? Are you okay saying, you know what, God? I think you're full of crap. Everybody's like, sacrilegious, throw the tomatoes, right? <laughs> no, I think you got to be okay with. you got to be okay when you think he's full of crap, he don't mind you saying it, right? Like when you don't think something makes sense, you need to be able to ask a question. You need to you be able to create an environment. And the other thing you need to ask yourself right now, have you created an environment with your children and the people that you love or the people around you that they can come and ask you questions? Have you made it open so that they can question what you believe? Because see, sometimes I don't think you want to be questioned about what you believe because you're not really sure what you believe. <laughs> Anybody? I don't know. I'm going to have all the answers. Don't, don't ask, don't ask, don't ask, right? Because I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, you got to create an environment for that to be open to those things. All right, are you ready? So now we'll get into Thomas. Let's study him. Let's see what we can learn from him. All right, so John 20, starting in verse 19. All right, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed um, them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So here's the first thing we're going to focus on. What made or what fueled Thomas being a skeptic? Okay, so what is it that fuels skepticism? Because we're looking at it with him, and then we're also looking at it with you. So what fuels your skepticism? What, what makes questions get really bad and on the only thing that you can focus on? When does it move in a bad direction? So if you look at the life of Thomas or what was going on, remember this, okay? Because I think you got to keep this part of the story straight for all of us. Thomas put his hope in Jesus, right? And so he's following him. He's doing everything that Jesus told him to do. Now Jesus dies on the cross and he doesn't stop believing in Jesus, right? And he doesn't stop believing in God. He's just at a point in his life right now where he's completely lost on what to do. 
right? And so the question is, when our skepticism happens or when we get to this place where we do start to question, what should you do, right? Where should we go when you are skeptical about the things that are going on? What should be our first thing that, that, that we should move towards? Well, if you look at Thomas, did you notice what we see very clearly? Jesus came to meet the disciples, but where was Thomas? not with him, right? You see, here's what naturally happens to people who are skeptics. They tend to separate themselves from people and become very isolated in their situation. Like when you become a skeptic, you tend to remove yourself from people and you go either to people who are thinking like you, maybe asking the same questions as you, or you just move away in general and you get to this place of isolation, Right? People would see, like, if you've ever had tragedy happen in your life, like if something has really flipped your life upside down, this is what happens naturally with people. You don't want to be with people that are super happy all the time. Anybody? Does that not make sense? Like, think about this. Like, you lose a kid, and we're saying, you know what you should do? You should come to church. And they're like, you mean come to church where everybody's super excited and I'm really sad? Let's not relate with anybody. You see what I'm saying, right? Like, so the natural tendency is to isolate. So when something goes wrong, you might have been coming to church for a while. You might have been in the rhythm. Something happens. So maybe it's not a loss. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's something happens with your kids. But you get to this place where all of a sudden you stop going. And you stop surrounding yourself with people right, that are, that are in those environments for the first thing that the devil wants to do is get you to the place of isolation. Same with us, right? As soon as your skepticism starts, he wants to move you away and he wants to isolate you from other people. Now, what, what should we do, right? Like what should be the idea as Christians? How should we respond to our own skepticism, right? Well, one of the things we know is obviously you can't be isolated. So how do we then fix the problem of skepticism because here's what we got to believe. In this room today, there are people that are skeptics because you think about this. Why do we gather on a Sunday morning? You know, scripture tells you that you should gather together, right? Hebrews 10 says, don't get up the habit of meeting together. Why should you meet together, right? Well, this is the funny thing about church and I'm going to continue to talk about this. But the problem with church sometimes is, is that church doesn't recognize or people don't recognize that when we're gathering together, somebody might need you. Is this making sense at all? Right? Like, like you came to church today and you're thinking about you, but you're actually forgetting that there's somebody here that needs you. Right? There's somebody here that needs you because right now they're skeptical, their fire's burning out, things aren't going very well, they don't know what, to need, what they need to do. Right? So I'm a charcoal grill guy. Anybody a charcoal grill person? In the first service, I was like, I don't think anybody uses a charcoal grill. I gave this analogy. You ever give these analogies that nobody gets? That's kind of how it went in the first service. So I'll try it with you anyway. So I'm a charcoal grill guy because everything I do on a gas grill turns out to be burnt, right? And I can't pour enough water on things to put the fires out, right? So I could never figure it out. Guy told me how to use a charcoal grill. Well, one of the things about a charcoal grill is when you put your charcoals in there, like when you put it up there, you got to build like a little pyramid, 
right? And then you put your, your lighter fluid on there and then you, you light it and then, you know, it gets hot and then once the coals get gray, then you spread them out, right? So I don't know if you ever, but I never really told anybody, like my kids or anybody, how to do it. Um, and so I think some of their struggle in the beginning was, well, if you just put charcoal in there and they're all spread out and you light them, they should all just stay on fire, right? Well, that actually doesn't work if you've ever tried it, right? They have to be in a pyramid. They have to be together because the heat then lights the other coals and it makes a fire. (laughs) A few of you, this is making sense (laughs) to. Believe me, I'm going to bring it together. Here's what I want you to think about. This is what the gathering of the Sunday morning. You see, if you stay spread out like this and you never come together with people, if you never get outside of these rows and get into a circle or get into a pyramid, there are people out there that are like these embers that aren't catching on fire that need you. Right? And that's part of the problem because the church is just like the charcoal grill in this way. He says, get together because we all need to get on fire. Get together, come together, surround each other, fan the flame, get the thing burning, and then what you leave, you know what you do? You spread the coals out, and now all of a sudden you have this even fire that's now out there that's going to burn and burn and burn, and it's going to keep coming till we come together again and light a new one, right? That's the idea. So what Thomas did is he just went out there without anybody surrounding him to be able to keep him on fire. Same thing with us. When you're a skeptic and you go out there and you try to do it on your own, and you're not surrounding yourself with people, you're going to tend to lose your flame. And church, listen to me. If you keep coming on a Sunday morning and you just sit in rows and you never get into a circle or you never build the pyramid, then you're not doing your job. Our job is to help light other people up. When you're on fire, you know why you're on fire? It's so that you can help light other people on fire. You don't have a fire just for you. You have a fire so that you can spread it to the next coal and the next coal and the next coal. We can have a consistent flame that can change the world. Make sense? Right, so he says in that isolation or in those places, we can't give up meeting together. We need to keep it going. Now, he also goes on in verse 25 and says this. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house and again or in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. So here's the next thing that we see, right? So when we're looking at the life of Thomas, he had become a skeptic, and now he was at this place where they talk about a week later, right? So here's the question. For you, when you're a skeptic, right, how should you respond to people who are skeptical? Right, because Thomas is a skeptic, And how should we respond to other people that are skeptical? Because did you see what the disciples did? So Thomas was with them how long later? A week. So for a week's time, Thomas the doubter was surrounded by disciples who had seen Jesus. Okay, that didn't work. All right, listen to me. Here's what you have to understand. If you want to change the world, you need to be with skeptics. Is that better? Like you can't witness to somebody 
if you're not around people that need witness to. And again, I said this in the beginning, I'm going to say it again because I want to make sure that this emphasis hits. When Christians become Christians, you know what the problem with them are? You know what happens in a church? Churches can say this, but they really don't believe it. Churches say, we love diversity. No, you don't. And they're like, oh, yes, we do. We like young people and old people. I'm like, you're only saying that because you don't want your church to die. Like, you're like, we don't have any young people. It's not going to work. You see, what happens in Christianity is you have no diversity of thought and you don't like diversity of thought and you don't like when somebody thinks differently than you. So you create a church that are like you. So you come to church with people who think like you, talk like you, act like you, and have your same opinion. Is this true? Not true? This is for sure true, right? That's what happens because nobody wants to sit around with someone who doesn't believe you. Somebody doesn't want to, somebody comes to you, no one wants you to hear you say, you know what? Todd Little, I think you're full of crap. Right, Todd's going to go, I'm going to go to a church where somebody believes me, right? I'm going to go to a church where somebody agrees with me. I'm not going to, somebody challenges my belief system, then go somewhere else where you all believe the same. I'm like, who would want to be a church, part of a church like that? I love when people say I'm full of crap, <laughs> right? Like, I love when people are like, I don't believe you at all. I think you're full of crap. And then I get to say, I think you are too, and this is a cool journey, <laughs> Right? Isn't it a neat journey that we both think, disagree, but at the same time, we can still be in a relationship? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, this is what he's trying to get us to see is, is that how do we respond to skeptical people? Be with them. Spend time with them. Talk with them. You can't reach anybody that you're not in relationship with. Right? So you got to create that. The church has got to create an environment that diversity of thought is completely fine. You don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to think the same way as everybody else thinks. But you know the other thing that you need to do, the other thing that Scripture shows us, which I think is really cool? Because part of the time with people, they're like, well, I know, but what do you say to somebody who disagrees with me? Or what do you say to somebody that thinks differently than me? Or what do you say to a person that's a skeptic? You know what you say? I run out there and say, Thaddeus, guess what? I don't know either, but I've seen Jesus. Right? I don't have to know the whole Bible. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know every single story and every single piece and how it fits. I can just tell Thaddeus, you know what? I don't know it all, but I do know this. I saw Jesus. He changed me. How do you respond to a skeptic? How do you respond to your kids who are asking questions when you say, I don't have all, you don't have all the answers? They don't want all of them. They only want one. Have you seen Jesus? And if you have, can you tell me about him? It's the only answer they want. Right? And in this story, the disciples were essentially saying, like, Thomas, hang out with us. <laughs> we're good. And we're going to keep talking about stories. I've seen Jesus. I've seen Jesus. And when you do those things, lives are changed. Right? And that, the challenge for us is this. When you're meeting with a skeptic or you're sitting with someone who's skeptical, you don't need to prove, them, prove that you are right with your knowledge. 
You see, that's what we do sometimes. Like somebody's a skeptic and you sit down like, I got the answer. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to give you all of the information that proves it. Right? You don't need to prove them wrong. You just need to prove that there's Jesus. Right? Because anybody that's met with a skeptic, you realize you could argue all day long and they're never going to believe you. Anybody been in those places? Right? Like you could argue till you're blue in the face and be like, don't you see all the evidence? And you know what? You know what the, the, the problem is? They don't because the evidence they're looking for is Jesus in your life, not what you know. Right? The skeptics aren't trying to figure out. I mean, some of them are, but the majority of people aren't trying to figure out the historical context and all the research that you did in Scripture and how you could prove that now this is right. Or to say, oh, like, you don't believe in Jesus. Like, if you've met with a skeptic before, you're just like, look around. Can't you see Jesus in everything? And they're like, no. No, I can't. You see, the reality is for people who are skeptical, they're going to learn from your story. So there's two problems with that. One, if you're not telling your story and you're not saying, I've seen Jesus, there could be two problems. One, you're scared, you know, and this is why you might be scared, and I think this is probably true for some of you in the room. You only want to share the stories that turn out the way that you want them to turn out. So you want to be like, I've seen Jesus, and he healed, and he did, and he changed, and everything's better. How about the, I've seen Jesus, even though it didn't work in my life? Because you can see him in both places. Amen to anybody, right? Like, I can say, I've seen Jesus even though circumstantially it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. Like, we're afraid to share with people these things like, I prayed for and they didn't get healed. I asked for it and it didn't work because we're afraid the skeptics are gonna be like, I'm more skeptical than ever now. And I'm like, you're crazy. What they want is authenticity, not fakeness. And what's authentic is sometimes when you see Jesus, it doesn't work out. Right? That's what people are looking for. They're looking for somebody who will just be real enough to say, even in the times it doesn't turn out the way that I want it to, I still see Jesus. And so will you, because that's real life. Right? And those are the stories we need to tell. Or you're on this end of it, is that you're so caught up in religion you don't even have a story. That one didn't go very well. You know what I mean, right? Like you're so busy being religious that the only story you have is I go to church. The only story I have is I read my Bible. The only story I have is I go to small group because you're going and you're reading and you're participating, but it's changing nothing. You have no story because you are a skeptic, unwilling to trust what he asked you to do. So you read it, and you don't do anything about it, and so you're wondering, like, I wonder why I don't have a story. It's just because you're not giving it a chance. Like, you have a story because you choose to listen to the things that God calls you to do through that. So he says, you know, how do we respond to the things that we should do? So we, as a church, 
need to be okay with diversity of thought. You need to be okay sitting in a room with people who don't think like you. And it's not your job to change their mind. Because Tyler and I were talking about this after the service. He brought this up. You know what the real battle for Thomas was? It was up here, right? Like he's struggling with this concept that in his mind, this wasn't making sense. And the disciples didn't try to make sense out of it all. They just tried to say, I saw Jesus. We met Jesus. I saw Jesus and met Jesus so that the battle that was going on in his mind could be changed. So he could convince him in his head that something would be different, right? As Tyler said, the miracle that would happen is the changing of his mind. And it wasn't, you're going to see this in a second, no matter how many times the disciples saying it was only to provide this. Make sure we understand this. You saying, I've seen Jesus only positions somebody so they can see him too. Does that make sense? Like your stories are good, but your stories are to present opportunities for them to meet him face to face. They can't live off of your stories. I guess maybe that's the better way to put it. They can't live off of what your stories are. Now, let's go on. How did Jesus respond, which I think is pretty cool. So disciples responded by spending time with him, telling him stories. But then Jesus shows up. At the, uh, verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side and stop doubting and essentially start believing. Now think about this, like put yourself in that position. You're in this upper room, a couple cool things about this. So Jesus had already shown up to all the other disciples. Remember that we read it just before this? Right, he had showed up and, and he said the same thing to them, peace be with you, and he said it to the group of people and they got the Holy Spirit, that's when they saw Jesus. Isn't it cool that Jesus would show up again for just one? Isn't that neat? Like he's coming back, why? Because there was still one who needed some evidence. There was still one that needed to see him. And then he shows up, I think it's always kind of funny. So they're up in this upper room and they're a little bit scared. And I'm just imagining this. I bet Jesus didn't use the door. He probably just walked through the wall. You know, and they're all kind of sitting there and he's like, hey, peace be with you. Like, what would you be thinking? You know what I mean? Like, what would you be sitting in that room? What would you be thinking when Jesus just comes walking in? But here's the cool thing. This is what the commentaries would say. He would look directly at Thomas and say, Peace be with you. Why? Because what he was saying to Thomas is, you can have peace with your past right now because I have a new future for you. You getting that? Like he's saying, peace be with you because your future, you, you don't have to struggle with. When you move on to the future, you don't have to struggle that you doubted me. Anybody? You don't have to beat yourself up that you ask all these questions. You, can't, you don't have to keep reliving all the things that you did wrong. You can have peace with your past because now there is a new future, right? And he says to him, you don't have to go there anymore because now this new future, right? And you want some evidence? Isn't that cool? Jesus shows up for the one. Do you want some evidence? You want to change your mind? 
you want something to change in your mind, there you go. Stick your fingers in the holes if you need some more evidence. But here's the important part, and I think this is what we can't miss. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just give you evidence to change your mind. It's evidence to change your heart. And what happens is when your heart is changed, this is what Jesus was then saying to him. When your heart is changing, this is what he's saying to him. If you get this evidence, it's not just like, oh, can I have another sign and another sign? It's like, if you get this evidence, stop doubting and start believing. Stop talking and start doing. Stop worrying about and start moving into, right? Peace with your past, but move into the future. Right? You can't just keep talking about something and Jesus gives you the evidence of this is who I am, right? Because here's the, here's the advantage you have that he didn't. You can wake up every day and read your scripture and have evidence of a Jesus who will change your life. Every day. Every day you can wake up. You don't have to wonder where that, you don't have to wait for Jesus to come walking through the door. You just have to open your scripture. Right? And he's going to give you the evidence that a risen Savior does things in a person's life that nobody else can do. But that then means that you have to stop or start moving out of your skepticism into belief. And you need to start moving into what you believe into the actions of your life, and things should start changing. Right? And that's what he was trying to tell him in the midst of this. Is like Jesus says, peace be with you. You know, We're going to move you forward. Here's the evidence. But if I give you the evidence, you need to do something about it. What's Thomas's response? Right? Jesus comes to him and says, peace be with you. Instead of, I would have assumed, like all of us, who would have come in and been like, you're an idiot. Why, are you, why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? He didn't do that. He's like, I'm going to come along your journey. When you're doubting, it's okay. I'm going to come along a journey with you. Right? I'm going to keep asking those questions. But Thomas's response was this. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and this is really important, my Lord and my God. You see, when Jesus gave him evidence, Thomas settled a couple things. The first thing that he settled, right, is now that he saw with his head the evidence of what was true, something changed with his heart. Do you see that? So when he says, my Lord, you know what he says? Before something else was the ruler of my heart, right now, God, my Lord, is sitting on the throne of my heart, right? So now I have dethroned whatever it was that was causing me to doubt, and I've moved back on the throne who rightfully deserves to be there, and that's Jesus, right? My Lord, and then he says, and my God. Because once you've defined or once you have decided that that Jesus is on the throne of your heart, then the actions of your life will reflect that he is your God. I don't know if that, am I saying that right? Are you seeing how that works? So the Lord, lordship of your heart, reflects into a world who will know who your God is, right? Because of the actions of your life. Because if you go on and you look at Thomas, what did Thomas go on and do? Once he settled his doubts, what happened? He's like, I gotta get on mission. What's the mission? Get out and reach and save lost people. 
right? When I went from a skeptic to a fully devoted follower of Jesus, now I live on mission. He went out to Parthia, to India. He went out and preached the gospel. He went out and preached the message, even at the cost of his life. Because when somebody makes a decision to, to put Jesus on the throne of their heart, the actions of their life will be reflected, right? And that's what each one of us need to process or to think through. So the worship team's gonna come back up. I wanna give you some things to, to end on, right? Now, put this in perspective. So here's Thomas, right, that went through a season, right? So don't think of doubting Thomas as he was always a doubter, right? Thomas went through seasons like he was called, he was a disciple, he was on fire, he was the one that was inquisitive. The reason he asked the questions is because he wanted to be with Jesus. He wasn't just going to leave it as an unknown. Like this was somebody on a quest to be in relationship and a quest to be with him. And then he just went through this one season where something got turned upside down. And he became a skeptic. But the reality is, is that when the skeptic turned to a fully devoted follower, he changed the world. He took a message into a place that not only didn't know Jesus, was violent to the gospel. Parthia and India, he moved into those places. And remember that the story of Thomas only happened because there were other people a part of his story. You see, you are or have been or will be a part of somebody's story. You're going to be the one, possibly, that's going to sit around with other people and you're, when they're discouraged and you're going, to have, you're going to be the one to be like, listen, I know you're discouraged. I know things aren't going the way it should, but let me tell you something. You might not see Jesus right now, but I see Jesus. I see Jesus. Let me tell you, like in this moment, you might be seeing only the distractions of the world because you know that's how the devil works, right? Right? Like you know how the devil works, right? You know what the devil's trying to get you to do. You know why he turned you into a skeptic? Because all of a sudden you start focusing on the things of this world and you forget to look up and see Jesus. Like that's a problem, right? That's the problem with our world today is the devil gets us distracted and he's saying you need some people to lift you out of the distraction by saying, look up, there's Jesus all around. Don't miss him. And I was thinking about this in my own life because when I, when I preach, one of the things that always happens is most of the time that I'm preaching, it's like the story of my life. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking through these things from how has this worked out in your own life? And I can remember when we first came over to plant the church, um, we were super excited, right? You know why? Because people were like, Huntington needs a church, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, well, if Huntington needs a church, I'm your man, Right? And we're going to come here, and all kinds of people are going to be super excited about a church coming to Huntington, and all kinds of people are going to come to know Jesus because we've sacrificed and we're doing, and we're all about all the hope. And then you come, and the first thing that happens is you come and you buy a building, and you really don't have any money anyway, and the fire marshal walks in and say, before you can start church, you got to spend another $300,000 because this building ain't right. And then there was obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. This was before we even got the church to its opening Sunday. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I get discouraged, right? 
You know how you become a skeptic, right? You start focusing on all these little problems. And we gathered together as a plant team upstairs, and we were all talking. And I'm sitting there saying there's challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge. You know what my team said? But we see Jesus. That's why Life Church exists today, because there were a group of people that regardless of the obstacles said, we have seen the Lord, right? And we're going to fight through the obstacles. It's, you know, we went on, we get the church planted, and then you know how you're all like, we're just going to go, and then you figure out that it actually takes money to run a church. I don't know if anybody knew that or not, but it like takes money, and we didn't have any money. Right? Like there wasn't any money in the beginning. There wasn't any, any way to be able to keep a 60,000 square foot building going when you have 40 people meeting. Right? Like it's not the way that it works. And so I'm looking at, well, maybe this isn't going to work and we're never going to have enough money and it's never going to get to this place. But because a group of people who not because they had money, but chose to sacrifice money, the church was able to stay open. Why would somebody give money when they don't have it? Because I've seen Jesus, right? That's why people do extraordinary things in life. People do extraordinary things, not because of the hype, not because somebody encourages them. People do extraordinary things because they're like, I've seen Jesus, and the only response to seeing Jesus is extraordinary things in your life. And then you get to the place, we're here just a couple years ago, you know, I was giving you the whole like charcoal analogy. See, Satan thought it would work by having COVID come in, you know, and churches shut down and because he knew this, spread the coals. Anybody spread the coals? You know what happens when you spread the coals? The fire goes out and then he's going to convince people that it's okay. You don't need to gather. You don't need to do, you know, and, and I, we're sitting together as a staff and I told Nick, I'm like, the devil ain't winning on this one. We're going to get this figured out. So I said, Nick, you got three weeks to figure out how to move us into here. Because that's why we moved here. We're saying, I don't care, but I think God wants people to gather. I think God wants people to be together. I think he wants the fire to stay lit. And I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I'm coming to meet. Right? And guess what, devil? You tried to spread the coals, but when they came back together, the fire's bigger than ever. Right? The fire is bigger than ever. And then lastly, I think Satan tries all kinds of things. And I think through my own, if I can't destroy the church, then I'll try to destroy you and your faith and your belief and everything you've done. And a couple years ago, that, that, that happens, right? You come to the place where I lose my wife. You know, like you've done all of these things. You've built all of your faith. You've done all of these things together. And Satan knew one thing, like you can't hurt, you can take me, but don't take the people that you love. Like if you want to destroy somebody's faith, take the people that you love, right? And so that happens, and I know what Satan was trying to do because you know where my focus was? Trying to put the pieces back together. You're trying to put your old life back together. You're trying to make it work. And God came to me, said one day, you know, like, listen, if you, if you want this to work, you need to look at your new life, the one that I have for you and the things to come. And Satan, although he tried to destroy these things that I loved, 
guess what? It backfired again. Because now, not only do I have this new life with a new faith, I also have a new beautiful wife that, that God gave me as a support, as a way, as a thing to do ministry together. Satan, what you tried to destroy backfired. Why? Because we've seen Jesus. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we just know that in our lives, there's times where skepticism creeps in and difficulty comes. And it's okay. Like you're a God that's okay with us asking the questions. And you're a God that's okay that we can challenge ourselves at times. But Lord, we just pray if there's people in this room today that have been asking the questions, if they don't fear, keep asking, Lord. You're not a God that's afraid of that. God, I pray that we're a people that are okay with people coming to us with questions, Lord, because we know our answers just need to be the same. I've seen the Lord. I can't, I don't know what the answer to every question in this world is, but I've seen the Lord. May we be a people that will shout at the top of our lungs, I've seen Jesus. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.